This podcast is brought to you by The Lodestar, the supply chain and logistics industry's leading source of insight. Your host is editor Mike King, and this episode is kindly supported by Fordo. Shipping products as easy as sending emails. In this episode of the Lodestar podcast, I'll be joined by Lodestar founders Alex Lenane and Gavin Van Maal. We'll be discussing what the Express Pearl disaster tells us about the dangers of poor packaging and what this means for the thousands of containers still stuck on the ever-given container ship in Egypt. We'll also be discussing why IATA is against a ban on lithium-ion batteries on aircraft, even as some shipping lines tighten up their requirements. Then we'll be turning to Europe's supply chain. Could low inventories, high shipping costs and looming shortages act as a break on post-COVID economic recovery? I'll be talking to Nomura Chief Economist George Buckley, Flexport's Matthias Slangen, Forto's Johannes Sade, and Maersk Line's Head of Global Ocean Network, Lars Mikkel Jensen. I basically feel that we've been in a peak for nine months now, and normally you're in a peak for one or two months and you survive it, but this is for nine months and it's, it's not stopping, right? Hello everybody, I'm Mike King. Welcome to the Lodestar Podcast. I'm joined today by Lodestar founders Alex Lenane and Gavin Van Maal. Hello, guys. Hi, Mike. Hello, Mike. Some great stories on the Lodestar these last couple of weeks. We've had a lot of focus on the perils of dangerous cargo. You've been covering the Express Pale Fire off Sri Lanka. Now, some context for our listeners. This is being recorded in the first week of June. The Express Pale is a new container ship only launched earlier this year. And in late May, a devastating fire ripped through the vessel, the hollow shell of which is now resting in shallow waters off the coast of Sri Lanka, where sadly it's causing absolute environmental devastation. Gav, the fire itself was first reported in late May. What's been going on out there? They've had Indian Coast Guard tugs, they've had Sri Lankan Navy tugs, they've had Sri Lanka Ports Authority tugs out there, they've had people from Schmidt Salvage and the Netherlands firefighting experts have been sent out there. The fire itself was in one of the containers. There's been some strong winds in that area. I mean, it might be to do with the cyclones that have been present in the um, Indian Ocean. But there's been some very strong winds and the winds basically fanned the flames. And and for, for three days, the fire raged regardless of the firefighting efforts. General average was declared pretty soon. I think inevitably there's going to be questions coming around to the packaging of the goods. There was an interesting interview in our peer, Splash 247, with the chief exec of, of Express Feeders, who expressed the position that the crew members had discovered acid leaking from one particular container. I mean, I have to say that the investigators haven't yet determined the cause of the fire. But at the moment, it appears to be that that specific container that was poorly packed, acid leaked out. And, and interestingly, that the, the that container was loaded in the port of Azir in India. It was shortly after it departed that port that they noticed this acid leak and they put a request into both Azira and Hamed port in Qatar. There have been some reports that the, the vessel was denied entry to the ports. Express feeders have clarified this and said that it wasn't denied entry per se, but it was told that neither port had the specific handling facilities to deal with that container. So it proceeded onwards to an anchorage point outside Colombo, which is when the fire subsequently developed. It's not the first fire on a container ship, is it? 
Well, no, we've had some very high profile incidences in the past, most notably the MSC Flamina and two years ago, the MERS Conan. The Norwegian P&I insurer Guard recently suggested that there could be as much as a fire on a container ship once every two weeks. General average has been declared on the Express Pale, much as it has been on the Ever Given which remains along with its cargo in Egypt while a compensation agreement is argued out in court between the Suez Canal Authority and the vessel's owner. Is there any danger that some of the ever-given's cargo could also be hazardous? Well, we don't know how much of it is, but there certainly appears to be dangerous cargo on, on board, according to the chairman of the Suez Canal Container, Admiral Osama Rabi, or Rabi, who said the following a meeting with the Panama Maritime uh, Authority, which is the flag under which the Ever Given sailed, that the ship owner, Shui Kaizen, the Japanese ship owner, hadn't reported the presence of dangerous flammable goods within the cargo on board, but they were subsequently discovered uh, when the Suez Canal Authority was inspecting the vessel. He claimed that these could have had a catastrophic consequences had the authority not dealt with it in an appropriate manner. That's a direct quote from Admiral Rabi. So yeah, it seems to show that there's a real gap in communication between the ship owner and the charter. Evergreen must have known which containers held dangerous goods. They'd be on their bills of lading. But the fact that the ship owner doesn't know it, and it's the ship owner that calls or declares general average, suggests that the ship owner didn't have the full manifest bill of lading information that it could then pass to the Suez Canal and to its average adjusters who are calculating the overall value of the ship and its containers. It just suggests that there's a proper gap in communication that ought to be addressed. Alex, you've been covering the dangers of lithium batteries. IATA is refusing to ban lithium-ion batteries on aircraft, presumably, I would guess, with good reason. Well, um, IATA's always been against a ban on lithium batteries on aircraft, perhaps not surprisingly, really. Not everyone agrees, but IATA has always insisted that it's about maintaining the integrity of the legitimate supply chain. So they claim that counterfeit batteries are probably the most dangerous and that shippers who misdeclare lithium batteries or rogue shippers, they're the ones that should be stopped rather than the legitimate carriage of well-packaged lithium batteries. And I ask it's really keen to criminalise anyone who uh, risks aviation, but they can't do that on their own. They, they have to have government buy-in from around the world, and that isn't quite so forthcoming, unfortunately. Um, I mean, there are some airlines that have, have worked out their own strategies for it. So Cathay Pacific have developed fire suppression techniques. They've got a, a bag they can put around batteries. Other airlines choose not to carry them at all, but it's uh, lithium batteries is big business for airlines. It makes them a good amount of money, particularly Asian carriers. So it's a thorny subject. And some shipping lines are banning some products with lithium batteries in them now too, are they? Well, there was this uh, Vivo mobile phone fire at Hong Kong airport. Um, several airlines said straight afterwards that they would ban it. And quite surprisingly, actually, because I don't think this happened before, one uh, Japanese carrier... Uh, said it would also ban the shipment of a particular type of Vivo mobile phones. I did hear, in fact, that so far it looks like the phones were properly declared, they were properly packaged. If that's true, IATA's strategy wouldn't have made any difference at all, to be honest. And Alex, of course, on the Lowstar podcast, we've got exclusive access to the Baltic Exchanges, Container Shipping, FBX and Air Freight Indices. You've been following pricing movement on air freight trade lanes. What's been going on these past few weeks? 
there, there's been no dramatic change on the um, Baltic Air Freight Index, maybe slightly down to Europe from China, slightly up from China to the US. But I spoke to an airline uh, CEO earlier. He expects rates to remain elevated for the moment. But over the summer, he, there might be a slight softening when passenger capacity comes back into the market. At the moment, passengers of primarily flying short haul but the US vaccination program is is going really really well and he was saying he expects to see a lot more passengers traveling transatlantically and less so across the Pacific but he expects rates to to maybe soften a bit uh, between Europe and and uh, the US over the summer. That'll be good news for shippers I would guess. Gav, container shipping, any sign of those rates softening at all? No, in a word. Air demand continues to outstrip supply on, on the Asia-Europe trades, according to the Freytos Baltic Index. There really doesn't seem to be any indication that these are going to go down. They haven't yet entered the peak season. Inventory levels in Europe continue to be low. I think anyone trying to buy something in the UK will be going into shops, which at best are 75% full. I mean, there is just a general lack of stock everywhere. I don't Have you noticed this, Mike? Yes, I have. Those inventory levels in the US and Europe, it seems that everything that arrives is being sold almost immediately. I had a chat to a buyer for a major UK high street retailer, and he said they'd pretty much stopped ordering in Asia as far as possible. And instead, they were hoovering up stock from suppliers right across Europe, just so they had more certainty on those deliveries and avoid the stratospheric shipping costs that everyone's struggling with. Uh, and which they are finding unsustainable. When I look at those ocean freight markets, really, they're totally maxed out. I don't see any give there at all. To be honest, it seems to have affected all the various tiers, whether it's retail, whether it's manufacturing. I mean, I've got a generator here that I need repairing, and it's taken three months for a spare part to turn up. You know, and, and it's because of the supply chain problems. That part would normally have been available within a week prior to COVID. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you, Alex. And now on to our examination of whether Europe's supply chain woes might temper economic recovery. In the previous episode of the Lodestar podcast, we looked at the turbulent and overheated trans-Pacific supply chain. This time, we turn to Europe, where large parts of the continent are slowly emerging from long COVID lockdowns. Pretty much all PMI and economic indicators point to an acceleration in business and trading activity. However, there are growing signs that the logistics chaos evident in the US is also applying a handbrake to the plans of many businesses in Europe. I asked George Buckley, Chief UK and European Economist at Nomura, if transport bottlenecks could even slow Europe's post-pandemic recovery. Well, certainly there's a possibility of that happening. New orders are going through the roof in the PMI surveys, same for export orders, same for quantity of purchases. We're seeing that not just in the euro area surveys, we're seeing it in the UK as well. And I think one interesting thing is that while growth of the manufacturing sector remains very strong, we have actually seen the weakest month for three months in the PMIs, even though it is very strong. And One of the reasons for that, and I'll I'll quote the PMI compilers market, who said that ongoing difficulties in sourcing inputs from vendors were placing constraints on production. And I think that's quite important. There's a real chance that it could start to dent the European recovery. Matthias Slangen, Flexport VP for Sales and Marketing in Europe, 
said that many OEMs are now facing challenges that they have simply never seen before, or certainly not all at the same time. Our customers, they see almost two perfect storms coming together. On the one hand, they see this pressure on the supply chain from a rate perspective, from a capacity allocation perspective. But at the same time, they are seeing their, the cost of their raw materials going up, lead times being extended. So they, they have these almost these two battles to, to fight with, to try to win. Many European importers are not only being forced to compete for ocean shipping and air freight slots, they're also fighting for production capacity in factories in Asia, according to Johannes Sade, VP for Global Sea Freight at Forto. We have a particular garden furniture company who is shipping especially out of South China, and they're not only struck by the problems in the supply chain, but also now the capacities of the factories are, are completely full. So the factories are being asked to, to shut down production due to yeah, electricity shortages and uh, rising prices. So they would even order even more furniture now, but they can't. And production yeah, is so much delayed. And they are, in, of course, also in big competition with customers in the U.S., where there's a very large bill or multiple large bills supporting domestic spending and consumption. Even after the events of the last year, when pretty much most things that could go wrong have done so, many European manufacturers and BCOs had still anticipated that container supply chains would become a little less disrupted in the second quarter. Sade says that the supply-demand equation for container shipping into Europe has in fact taken a turn for the worse. Especially after the Zeus Canal incident with the Ever Given, now we are in an even yeah, more constrained market environment from my perspective than even prior Chinese New Year, which really nobody expected back then. And we thought, okay, this was the most crazy situation, the record high SCFI rates. And as we are seeing now, I think SCFI stands at $5,800, a 20-foot container from Asia to Europe. That's even far above the situation we had in December. Uh, in January. What we are seeing now is the the Suez situation cost. So the the backlog hasn't cleared and the schedule reliability is really at the bottom low and it seems not to be increasing. And therefore the SCFI has risen so sharply and not even on these price levels, you are guaranteed a spot. So we are seeing rates up to $15,000 a 40 foot really get reliable shipping options. These capacity shortages are not just impacting Europe's importers as carriers rush containers back to Asia to address shortages there on highly profitable front haul services Flexport Slangen says exporters are now struggling to find empty boxes we're still consuming a lot so there's still a lot of consumer goods coming in this case from Asia to Europe and those boxes not necessarily end up at the desired location where you need them for export again There is no doubting that container lines and forwarders are coping with a pretty unique set of circumstances. Just over late May and the first days of June, we've had the Express Pearl Fire, the closure of the port of Yanchan, a close call on the Suez Canal and a major collision in Taiwan. We've also got vessels in quarantine due to COVID outbreaks, all of which suggest more shocks to the system should not be ruled out. For their part, carriers are doing their utmost to get schedules back on track, according to Lars Mikkel Jensen head of Global Ocean Network at Maersk. There's nothing that we would want more than to be back on track and be back on track tomorrow. But but I think it's important to look at the entire supply chain and not just the ships, because we, we have seen a, 
be super tight supply chain and that be on the ships, it's in the ports, it's in the trucking, it's in the warehouses. And it, it's linked, of course, to the amount of, of cargo that is moving through, as well as some of the, I to say, capacity shortages then that are linked into COVID. So then there is a lack of truckers because there's been COVID impacts. There is a lot of cargo that is moving through the warehouse. It takes longer to get the import containers emptied. So they give a, I'm going to say, a high yard density in, in the terminals and so on. So all of these elements are probably showing us that, well, we had a, a very efficient supply chain in the past, and it only takes very little um, to disrupt. And then it very quickly becomes a ripple effect because networks and schedules, that's a global thing. So when there is a problem, like what we saw recently with the uh, incident in Suez, that has a ripple effect that can take a long time to catch up on because there is a delay, ships are bunching in the terminals. What we're trying to do from a schedule perspective is is really to, to run as as efficient as we can. I mean, we're taking ships in, there's no ships really more to be had. So on some loops, we have added a, a vessel so that we create more buffer in the schedules. In other situations, we'll go to alternative ports. We'll try to uh, then, when we are at the port, extend the working hours, the same for the gates, for picking up of the containers. And so all of those things we're trying to do to really pump more capacity into, into the stretch supply chain. There's been reports of shortages of containers because the average container is in use for longer than it used to be. So what we're doing is really that we are then going out and, and buying and leasing more equipment and so on. And it's easier for equipment and containers because it only takes a month or two to produce a container. Whereas if you want to buy a ship, it takes three years before you get the ship. So really trying to spread it out, work with our customers. What are the most important boxes? Those need to move before some of the less important boxes. So trying really to work with all the partners, both from a customer as well as a supplier perspective. Lars, Q2 is supposed to be a long period for container shipping. But as you explained, we're a million miles away from this being a seasonal lull. Is there still any time left to try and get schedules in place and back into some sort of order for Q3, which of course we would usually consider as shipping's peak season? I basically feel that we've been in a peak for nine months now. And normally you are in a peak for one or two months and you survive it. But this is for nine months and it's it's not stopping, right? So there is a peak in demand and there is still these disruptions. Just take this week or last week where there's COVID cases detected in Yanshan in China, that impacts the departure and it gives delay to a lot of ships that is going to Europe. And when they come to Europe, they will be delayed. They'll be bunching into each other and so on. So it just seems as if we keep getting these incidents on top of each other. So where we were more confident about a normalization you know, say going into the third quarter, in all likelihood, it's going to take a bit uh, longer. It just shows that it's a fragile supply chain that we have. And and then one thing I think that is probably not so much known is that on board ships, you have crew. And if one of those crew members, for whatever reason, gets infected by COVID, then you can say very often that ship ended up being quarantined because we're not allowed to disembark for the crew member until after two weeks and negative tests and, and all of that stuff. So often when you get a COVID case on board a ship, a ship is basically out for service for two weeks. And that then is a missed sailing and a ripple effect again. So, you know, the best thing that can happen in, in terms of normalizing an operation is that the entire world gets um, vaccinated and then we can get back to normal life again. But that's maybe a, a bit further out. But my best estimation at this point in time is that 
the disruption that we're seeing right now and the restrictions that we're seeing right now are going to continue well into the third quarter, unfortunately. I would love them to finish tomorrow. Johannes at Forto says that for many customers, waiting for shipping to resolve its log jams in the coming months is simply not an option, especially as European consumers return to retail outlets. Maybe talking about a bit more a specific commodity like garden furniture. So you need to ship them out now, otherwise people are not buying them anymore. Like if the summer vacation is over August, September, you're not going anymore to the furniture stores, DIY stores and buying your bench for your garden. So you have to ship it until end of July. Otherwise, you keep it in stock over the winter and looking then at next spring season, which is then also very, very costly. Given the nature of that lack of certainty that we have on the container shipping side of things, are we seeing cargo being diverted or is the capacity by air, by rail? Yeah, it, it got diverted. It is diverting, but uh, looking at the capacities, so you can ship around 350,000 TUs a week from Asia to Europe. And looking at rail capacity, it's full since end of December last year. And so there's a limited amount of cargo which can divert. So we are seeing a massive and volumes and rail, which we also cannot cover. Um, there has been a shift to LCL product. So we have doubled our weekly consolidations from China to Europe, but there's also a limited amount of cargo you can then capture with that. And similarly on air, looking at the very limited capacities on passenger flights, there's only so much you can uh, shift to other transport modes. Flexport, for its part, is seeing more and more requests for air freight movements customers who are saying like I, I would like to explore moving my goods via air the equation is always you know like you, you look at cost and you look at the, the speed or the transit time if you will with let's say inventory levels going pretty low there's more and more companies that are looking into this the costs are higher because obviously we've seen rates rate rising as well on the effort side but if i don't have my goods readily at hand in europe to sell to my customers then the cost of not having goods there is actually quite significant. So there's more and more companies looking into this. Luckily, if we look at it right now, the capacity, let's say, in, in the effort market and also specifically on the on the Far East Westbound is still relatively okay if you compare it to, to other trades. But the pressure also on that mode is going to increase. We will see uh, the, the vaccine shipments. We believe that there's still more and more to come on, on that front. The belly capacity on the passenger flights is not ramping fast. So that could easily become one of those bottlenecks again. What you see with the freighters, the freighters come in in one specific location, whereas the passenger flights would go to many different locations in Europe. So you would see a peak on those in, in those specific airports as well, causing obviously a ripple effect on, let's say, the trucking capacity, which needs to be extremely big in, the, let's say, for instance, the Frankfurt area. So there's, there's other complexities that are arising from that, yeah. With many shippers of medium and lower value cargo unable to afford premium modes of transport, indeed, with many of them unable to afford current stratospheric shipping spot rates, the key question for them is when will box shipping services and rates return to something that looks like normal? Mayor Lars Mikkel Jensen is adamant things will definitely improve eventually. Pinpointing when exactly that will be is more difficult, however. For sure, this isn't forever. And I wish I could give the specific date and time of, of the day where this ends. But I, I think the best advice that, that we are giving to our customers is engage, talk, outline what our priorities, uh, plan well in advance, uh, 
make longer term contracts with your suppliers and so on so that you avoid these how to say bumps that will come because I mean, we realize that when you look at service levels and so on, we're not where we need to be, but we're doing, I want to say, a lot of focus on our, our long-term customers so that when we have a contract for 12 or 24 months, right, then, you know, that is, um, you know, some of that business that we will give priority. We'll work closely with those customers talking through the, all of their shipments. So, so get visibility, what is important and what is super important. And then if you can kind of identify what is super important, then work with the suppliers, work with the shipping lines, work with the truckers to get those boxes moving as a priority. Nomura's Buckley believes that while supply chain issues could dent the European recovery, counterintuitively, he also believes that falling demand might eventually help untangle Europe's supply chains. I think there's a few ways this could happen. First of all, there could be a physical inability to produce because they haven't got the parts. We could see another way of production being dented could be by rising prices, which then go on to dent demand and therefore limit the supply response. But but over and above that, it may be that just more generally, people might during the unlocking stage realise there's actually more to life than buying stuff off the internet. And they might then start to buy more services and experiences rather than physical goods, because this is what they've really missed out on. Sade, for his part, is less optimistic over what happens next. I'm normally a person who yeah, is very, very positive, but at the moment... I do not see any significant uh, improvements in quarter three, given the situation which we are seeing in Yantian with a partial port closure, which is yeah, adding an additional supply constraint uh, to that market. Also looking that this can happen at any other port in China, but also Southeast Asia at any time. Yeah, I'm not too positive. And um, also looking at the European side with the infrastructure, in Hamburg, in Rotterdam, at trucking capacities. So I do not foresee that we will have a transition into a new normal as in quarter three. And I'm rather looking a bit more at the beginning of October after the, the Golden Week holidays in China, that there's a bit of yeah, a more structured approach to shipping uh, in a way. Is there an outside possibility that we might be I might be asking the same question come the end of Q4 or even early start of next year, and we might still be in, in this very entangled situation with our global supply chains. One way how to get out of the situation is yeah, a lower demand in, in consumption of retail goods and that people start now, of course, traveling in Europe, especially that they start now going out to, to restaurants and, and bars and spending more money on services. So there could be a possibility that we see a decrease in, in spending of, of these commodities, but will have a delay of, I would say, three to four months, because everything which is now being shipped has been ordered three, four months already. And therefore, uh, I would yeah, rather stick with my outlook that things can get better, but we are rather there looking into quarter four uh, of this year. Thank you, Johannes, and thank you all for listening. I'm certainly all for any solution that involves buying less and traveling more. So I'm going to be keeping my fingers firmly crossed that more travel corridors open up in Europe in the very near future. We'll be returning to Europe's logistics travails in later episodes of the Lodestar podcast, 
which I should add is now available on all major podcast platforms. So please subscribe. You can also follow the latest news and all of the issues that we've covered today on the lodestar.com and Lodestar Premium. I'd like to thank our sponsor Forto for supporting this episode. An additional shout to the Baltic Exchange for giving us exclusive access to their fantastic range of regulated indices. And a big thanks also to my editing team, Tom Matthews and Karen Ball. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back soon. Thank you.